Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. drinking Emily. Tonight we are drinking the Paloma cocktail Ooh. from Cutwater Spirits. Oh. Ooh, it wow. is tequila with carbonated water and natural grapefruit flavors from San Diego, California. A ready to it. enjoy cocktail. I, that tequila came through strong in the first sip. It's nice. Yeah. It's very grapefruity. Yeah, also very grapefruity. Interesting. I mean, why we named our podcast Lightweight True Crime <laughs> is because Emily and I are perhaps the biggest lightweights you'll ever meet in your whole the life. The lightest of weights. I thought I was the lightest of weights, and then I met you, <laughs> Emily, where I'm like one cocktail, and I'm like, let me text all my old boyfriends. And you're like three sips in, and you're like, I got to go to bed. Remember that time we went out, and we were at that place? I don't remember what it was called. When in we were LA. in LA. And I had like... Literally, I had like three <laughs> sips and I was like, tell me about your life. <laughs> I just remember thinking like, oh, this is so fun. Like, we'll get to hang out just the two of us on the town. And then I was like, this was a huge mistake. I should not have let her drink anything before this show we were going to. But it was a great night. Yeah, yeah. it was. And then you were like, okay, we need to leave in five minutes and you have three quarters of your drink <laughs> left. And I was like, all right, I got this. And I'm pretty sure you just carried me all the way to the and show. I mean, we were walking to that show. So I was like, all right, challenge accepted. Yeah. You're going you to have cocktail. four hours to sober up. And, and did. I did. And we were, it was great. The The bad thing about being a lightweight. Well, the good thing is that it's super cheap. Mm -hmm. I buy one drink and I'm good. But then I sober up really fast. Mm. And I only like sugary drinks. So I get hungover. Yeah. Right after I'm done being drunk. I don't even have to fall asleep. That'll do it. That'll do it. I was hungover so. after we were at a mutual friend's Halloween party. Oh, yeah. I was hungover that next morning. And I got to tell you, hungover at 28 is a little different than hungover at 22. You don't Very bounce different. back as fast. No, 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 no. It takes a couple of days. Yeah, it's a lot slower. Yeah, it's not as pretty. So actually, the show we were talking about that we went to together was a true crime show. It was. Because we, have, uh, we are both obsessed with true crime yep. and have been for many moons. Like any of you guys who may or may not be listening... Probably no one, except Ryan, except he doesn't like true crime. Oh, yeah. Who's Ryan? Oh, it's that guy sitting in the corner over there. Do you not see him? Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. Oh, hey, Ryan. Uh, Ryan, our executive producer. Yes. Of Lightweight True Crime. Yep. Also married to you. Also married to me. Yeah. He's a champ. He does not want to be here. He doesn't. He hates true crime, but he loves recording stuff. It's mm, true. All right, you want to tell me your crime story I for the tell day? You my crime story, and we're gonna keep drinking these yes. Paloma cocktails and uh, just see what happens. Cheers! Indeed, cheers. I guess it doesn't make a sound when you try to <laughs> cheers a can. <laughs> okay, so I, when I was thinking about what is the story I want to tell for our inaugural episode, I was trying to think of something like what do I have a personal connection to like what story um like helped develop my love of true crime and it hit me 
this story from Oregon City, a oh, small suburb Oregon? outside of Portland. That's where I'm from. Oh, yeah. Hashtag McMinnville. Love where you live. Um, my hometown. <laughs> and this story unfolded when I was like in the fourth or fifth grade. And I remember it being on every... Like eight? Ten? How old are you? In fourth grade. In fourth grade, I think you're 10. I'm like trying to do math. I'm a teacher. 10 or 11, I think. And I remember this just being on every like news station, on every newspaper is all anybody could talk about for this year. Uh, But so this is the story of Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis. Mm. So it's January 9th, 2002 in Oregon City, Oregon. Like I said, small suburb outside of Portland. It's like 35,000 people. It's not very big at all. And it's around 8.15 a.m. when 12-year-old Ashley Marie Pond says goodbye to her mom as she's leaving their apartment to walk to the bus stop. Ashley's in the seventh grade, and weeks away from her 13th birthday, Emily and I are already burping from these (laughs) cocktails. These are so carbonated. you are welcome. (laughs) Um, So, okay, so this girl, Ashley, is just a few years older than you and I were at this time. So the day goes by, and Ashley's mom expects to hear from uh, her daughter around 6.15 that night. And when she does it, she's concerned. So she calls the school like a good mom. And the school tells her that she had not been in class that day. Now she's even more concerned, and she calls Ashley's friends, who say that they had not seen her on the bus that morning. So somewhere in between leaving and the bus stop, which was not very far, something happened to her. Didn't like schools, I don't know, I mean, at least my school did, like if you didn't show up after 10 minutes of school starting, they called your parents. Yeah, that would have happened at my school too. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know know what happened. Now it's like automatic and parents freak out. Right, right. They assume the worst. Yeah. And when that kid is actually just like at the arcade. Yeah. Yeah. So you have arcades? (laughs) I don't even know where there's an arcade. I don't know. Oregon City might have an arcade. Okay, okay. Yeah, right. Also, we're not boys. I'm sure boys would know where arcades are. That's the thing. Boys do, right, right? So sexist. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, so Ashley's family and friends start looking for her and they call the police now, Ashley had had a rough life. She had been sexually abused by multiple men, like before. Oh my gosh. Like, this is before her 13th birthday. Oh, my right? goodness. So terrible. Including one of her abusers was her biological father. <sighs> and initially, the authorities suspect that she is a runaway. And because of this, many people think the investigation got off to a slow start, a slower yeah. start than it should have. Um, They're never runaways. Or almost never runaways. Um, and also, after the initial report was filed, the police didn't search Ashley's apartment complex, which seems like that yeah. would be an important thing. Because I mean, do. if they assume that she's a runaway, right? Like, why, why would, would why you would need they to do search that? it? Like, to- totally. It just feels like you shouldn't assume the best; you should assume the worst and investigate. It feels like a lot of times runaway is just code for poor. Yeah. Right. Because like you never see rich kids are assume aren't usually assumed to be yeah. runaways. Yeah. So anyway. So they don't search the apartment complex, and the FBI isn't brought in until nine days after she's disappeared. Okay. So this story dominated the local news, and a Portland TV station interviewed friends of Ashley's, including mm-hmm. 13-year-old Miranda Gaddis, who went to her same middle school, was on her dance team, and lived in the I same... I am remembering this story. Uh, yeah. This story is why I slept on my parents' okay. yeah, yeah, bedroom yeah. floor for like a solid year. Um, 
so same middle school, she was on the same dance team, and she lived in the same apartment complex. So their lives mirror each other yeah. in so many ways. And she's interviewed by this local TV station, and when she's asked about her friend's disappearance, she says, it's really hard to believe that happened to one of your friends or something. It's just really different and really sad. So that airs on local TV. And on March 8th, 2002, uh, you know, like less or like two-ish months uh, after Ashley disappears, Miranda goes missing (gasps) while walking from the same apartment complex to the same bus stop. Oh, my God. So the day went like this. It was kind of similar to Ashley's. Miranda's mom, Michelle, left for work at 7.30, and the police believe that Miranda left around 8 o'clock to catch the bus, like a totally normal day. That afternoon, Miranda's sister calls their mom to tell her that Miranda had not been in school that day. So the mom calls to confirm that with the school. And they're like, yep, hasn't been in any of her classes. Apparently, like a truancy (laughs) policy hasn't been enacted in these two months. And her friends confirm that she was not on the bus that morning. Oh, my gosh. And she was just on the news. And she was just on the news. Yeah. So at that point, authorities knew for certain that Ashley was not a runaway and that they were dealing with a predator. So after Miranda goes missing, the FBI starts a task force to look for the girls. FBI Special Agent Charles Matthews uh, was quoted as saying, what was on my mind was we were going to wake up one morning and there's going to be a third girl gone. So that was the clock we were racing against. Yeah. Yeah, At this point, people are in like a full-blown panic. Yeah. I remember like that none of the girls' friends wanted to be interviewed anymore because they're like... Because the last girl that was interviewed... went missing. Yeah. Um, And so this was any like the only thing people could talk about. I like made my parents... I made... (laughs) them like let me watch them set the alarm every night oh my gosh i was so scared um so there's no signs of struggle at the girls apartments wait you guys had an alarm on your farmhouse we had an alarm we had one uh swinging light bulb over our one indoor toilet yeah and then uh also an alarm system because you got to keep the yeah yeah, yeah. priorities right yeah i didn't realize you guys even had electricity out there i mean only on days where it's not really windy got it got it yeah that's tequila um so there's no struggle signs of struggle at the girl's apartment or on the path to the bus stop neighbors don't hear anything um on the mornings the girls go missing so the police and the fbi task force have very little to go off of but they spend the next few months tracking down leads and following up on tips but don't come any closer to figuring out where the girls are so while the police are conducting their search, a private investigator named Linda O'Neill, who also weirdly happens to be like a distant relative of Ashley's, I think she's like an ex-step-grandmother. Like, oh my God. It's an obscure <laughs> How does that even work? But like still like was married to her grandpa and like now isn't. I don't know. Something like that. All right. Um, so she starts getting involved and soon like the case consumes her. It's all she can think about. It's all she's working on. And she is spending time with Ashley's mom, asking her about people in Ashley's life. And Ashley's mom mentions a man named Ward Weaver. Now, Ward Weaver lived lived next to the girls' apartment complex. That's a villain name. If that I is a hundred percent a villain name. It's the alliteration. Yep. Much like Sarah Schwartz. Yeah, <laughs> you know that that's bad news bears. Whoops, my last name's out there now. It's fine. Go to sarahschwartz.com. It's a woman who makes lovely bar mitzvah invitations. It's true. I tried to look it up once. And that's not you. And that is not me. Um, so Ward Weaver lives next to the girls' apartment complex, and he had a daughter who was friends with both Ashley and Miranda. Uh-oh. Ashley, in particular, had spent a lot of time at the Weaver house. And Ward Weaver did have a criminal record for assault, but it was for a singular incident 16 years ago. Still assault? Still assault. Still not great. So police say they've already 
confirmed his alibi as well as sent several teams of officers and dogs to search his property, but they didn't come up with anything. But Linda had a gut feeling and she kept looking into him because she knew that the year before, Ashley had confided in a teacher saying that Ward had been molesting her. (sighs) Bad news bears. Uh, The allegations had been looked into, but no charges were officially filed. Which is so, probably the police had heard that and that's why they like checked out his alibi and talked to him. But for some reason, thought he was in the clear. So around this time, another private investigator offers to help Linda look into the girls' disappearance, a guy named Harry Oaks. So he gets up to speed on the case. He goes to Ashley in her mother's apartment and shows his dog some of Ashley's clothing uh, so he can get Ashley's scent. We are all burping so hardcore (laughs) from these cocktails. I know. I keep moving my mic away, but maybe next time I won't. did not anticipate this, how this is going to happen. Anyway, so... He, so he gets Ashley's scent, and the dog leads them from Ashley's apartment up the road towards the bus stop and then to Ward Weaver's property. So Harry Oaks, with his dog by his side. Which um, is a great hero name, honestly, by the way. It's also a great, like, detective name. Like, Harry sure Oaks, see? Yeah. You know, like, it, absolutely. It's, Are you sure this isn't just, like, a comic book story? It, it, you know, I wish. Yeah, I, wish. I wish, too. So he has his dog and he knocks on Warbeaver's door and asks for his permission to search the house. So he's home and he says that he could and that the police had already been there but hadn't found anything. Um, and so they walk into the house and Harry's dog gives him what's called a death alert in the hallway saying Yikes. that he, um, he had, the dog like smelled the scent of a cadaver basically. Um, and in the backyard... Um, where a concrete slab had recently been poured. The dog sketchy. gives... Yeah, super, super sketchy. The dog gives the same kind of alert. So Harry is not a police officer, um, but he files a report with this information to the Oregon City Police on March 20th, two weeks after Miranda disappeared. So Linda keeps digging into Ward Weaver's life and unearths some pretty terrible stories. Ashley's teachers, dance coaches, and even Weaver's ex-wives told her stories of disturbing and inappropriate behavior. And not that this proves anything, and plenty of people are related to people who do heinous things that are those people are good people, um, but she also discovers that Ward's father is on death row in California Uh-oh. for a double homicide. Also, I'm fairly certain in the story I read about that that he had buried a, that woman under a concrete slab, but... Mm-hmm. Whatever. I wonder if that has anything to do with Coinky Dink. Um, so more and more, Linda and Harry are like, this is our guy. But the police and the FBI keep coming back saying, like, we've ruled him out. Like, get out of here. Stop doing our jobs. Um, so it's not until August 2002 when Weaver's son, Francis, calls the police claiming his father had attempted to rape his 19-year-old girlfriend. Oh, my goodness. And this as he's... T- right? Seriously. And as he's telling them this, he suggests... Th- he suggests that he's responsible for the disappearance of Ashley and Miranda, Uh-oh. which is like, you're calling to tell the police this terrible thing. And then you're like, addendum, By the way. BTW, um, you also might want to look into this. So Weaver is arrested for the attempted sexual assault and a warrant is issued to search his property based on this new information. Um, but before the search warrant was executed, Ashley's stepmother goes snooping around in his backyard. Nice. Um, because she has heard people talking about how suspicious and weird it is yeah. that he has just poured this cement slab. Um, and so she says, I went to the backyard to check it out and became so infuriated. 
And she goes to look around, and when she sees it, she tapes a huge sign on it that says, dig me up. Yeah. Which, that just gives me goosebumps just even, like, thinking about. I also, I can't believe this woman had the nuts to, like, I know. Be Especially, in his she's like, I think this guy murdered my child. Right. I'm going to go snoop around his house. Blah, 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 blah. Ugh. So. Moms. Moms, man. The best. So, with the warrants issued, the FBI shows up with dozens of agents to search the Weaver property. And in that search, they discover a box in the shed behind the house. And in it, the body of Miranda Gaddis. Oh, my goodness. The next day, they go back, they dig up the concrete slab where Harry Oakes' dog had alerted him to the scent of human remains five months before. Wait, okay, so how long has it been since Miranda's been missing? So this is August, and no, well, it's been, Ashley disappeared in January, Miranda, Miranda disappeared, disappeared in March. March, this is August. So Miranda has been in his shed. March, April, May, During June, July, August. summer months. Well, like, we don't know when he killed her. That's true. And al- but also, like, even so. Like, I don't know yeah. how that, I don't know how you contain that scent. Because it's not like they're out in the country. Yeah. Like, he's in, like, the suburbs. And he's got, like, at he's least like, his son lives at there. At least his son and his daughter, I think, because that's the one that was friends with Ashley and Miranda. I mean, I've never smelled a dead body, but I've heard, I've heard it's, it's pretty kind of, rancid. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So they find Miranda in the shed and... Under the concrete slab, they find the body of Ashley Pond. (sighs) So Ward Weaver remains under arrest for the attempted rape of his son's girlfriend until October of 2002, when he was indicted and charged with six counts of aggravated murder, two counts of abuse of a corpse in the second degree, one count of sexual abuse in the first degree, one count of attempted rape in the second degree, one count of attempted aggravated murder, one count of first degree attempted rape, one count of sexual abuse in the first degree, one count of sexual abuse in the second degree, and two counts of sexual abuse in the third degree. That's a lot. And also, six counts of murder? Yeah, don't super know what that is about. That could be a Wikipedia. I'm, I'm about it. Typo. But I say throw the book at him. Do it. So in September 2004, Weaver pled guilty to two charges and no contest to the rest. This allowed him to avoid the death penalty. And instead, he was given two sentences without the possibility of parole. And according to a very recent interview given by Miranda's sister, she says she went to go visit him in prison. What? Yeah, because apparently, like, she's been haunted by this. I'm pretty sure her sister was younger than her, too, when Miranda and Ashley were killed. Um, And so she went to go visit him in prison because she wanted to know why he killed the girls. And according to her, um, he said that he was afraid that Ashley was going to come forward about how he had been abusing her and that he thought Miranda had seen something related to Ashley's abduction and wanted to silence her. So as of this year, he is serving his sentence at the Two Rivers Correctional Institute in Umatilla, Oregon. And that is the story of the disappearance and murder of Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis. Man. That's a heavy, it's a heavy, heavy one. I understand why you slept on your parents' floor for so long. Like this, I mean, so January to August, it's all like the little valley that I live in could talk about. And you just saw their faces everywhere. And it was like the worst news that you could get about them. Yeah. It it was absolutely horrible. Um, I also read, so not only is Ward Weaver's dad, I mean, I think his dad is 
dead now, but he was the one on death row in uh-huh. California. And now his son, Francis, the one who S- said his dad tried to like, rape his girlfriend. Yeah. He is also in jail for murder. No. Yeah. I think it was like a drug deal gone bad where he killed somebody. Oh my God. I don't believe in like the murder gene, but I do believe in nurturing. Yeah. And I'm sure that that family is not, doesn't have positive nurturing. It, doesn't look good no dang so you know just coming out the gate swinging with a real heavy header here in our first episode thanks sarah thank you emily now i'm excited to drink the rest of this cocktail i know story i'm a little bit little bit tipsy i'm not girl all the way there yet but like i said like we said i'm a lightweight so i've i've had about um a third of this which in like your average person's drinks like four beers is like four beers Okay, so I'm going to take us back a little farther take than you back. did. So we're down in the south in Opelousa, Louisiana. Oh, dear. It's 1912, and a family of four is out um, on a little fishing trip in Swayze Lake, um, which is a little bit outside of Opelousa, and it's more of a swamp than a lake. Mm-hmm. If you do like a Google Maps, um, it actually looks like a river. Um so it's not really a lake. Don't know why they call it a lake. Anyways, they're out there, the Dunbars and a couple other families are out there fishing, hanging out. Um, when one afternoon they realize that the oldest Dunbar boy, who's four, his name is Bobby. They can't find him. And so everyone is frantically looking around, running around, trying to find Bobby. And eventually they find some little footprints and um, they're like, these have to be Bobby's because they're tiny. Bobby was tiny. He was four. So they follow them for a while and then they just stop. And they're like, we don't have any more leads. What happened? And someone who was around that area had said like, oh, I saw a man and a boy walking around here. And the man like picked up the boy and they walked away. But the boy wasn't upset. So I, you know, didn't think anything of it. And they even had flagged down a train because it was 1912 and you could just like, Hey, excuse me, excuse could me, beep, you beep. stop? Could you take a quick pit stop here? And everybody got off the train to sure. help As one them does. look. Yep. Yeah. Which I can't even imagine. We live literally on a train track, and those trains would stop for nothing. Yeah, yeah. That would that would you would be pancaked. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, so they spend the day looking. They don't find anything. Spend the next couple days looking. They can't find him. So the Dunbars have to go home. They go back to Opelousa, Louisiana. And they set a reward for $1,000, which in today's money is like $20,000. So these people have money to spare. Sure. And they put... I mean, they're on vacation. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on a fishing trip. Mm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. they've got money. Sure. Um, So they put flyers up basically all over the South. And, um, you know, it's 1912. There's not a lot of pictures. There's just like the description on there. It says like... Little boy, age four, brown hair. I'm yeah. sure it has more details than that. So people are just kind of bringing in any four-year-old boy with brown hair and saying, is this him? <laughs> is this him? <laughs> and there's a lot of false leads. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of angry four-year-olds who are like, right, why am I here? Excuse me, mom. Yeah. See, you know who I stop am. Stop trying to get rid of me. You've been bad this afternoon. <laughs> if you continue to be bad, we're going to pretend you're Bobby Dunbar. <laughs> Anyways, so lots of lots of bad leads um, until finally, um, about eight months later in February of 1913, 
Um, somebody in Poplarville, um, Mississippi, could be Poplarville. <laughs> Not quite sure how to say Poplarville. it. Poplarville, yeah. Um, <laughs> somebody says, hey, I saw this man who has a boy that looks like Bobby Dunbar. And so police go out and find him and bring him back and question the man and question the boy. And they seem kind of sketchy. And the police are like, yeah, this boy really fits the description. Let's bring the Dunbars up here. How much, how long has this been? Since it's been, been eight months. Okay. So they bring the Dunbars up and say like, we have a boy. He might be Bobby. We don't know. We need you to confirm it. And think about like, if it's been eight months and you haven't looked at a photograph of somebody. Yeah. Let and al- kids change so yeah, quickly. Let alone a four-year-old. Now he's almost five. Yeah. Like... I don't know if I would be able to confidently memories are not that remember. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's two differing stories. Half of the newspapers print a story that says that the second that they opened the door and the family walked in, Bobby yelled mother and ran and hugged the family. He even called his little brother by name. And then the other stories Uh, The other story that the newspapers print is that when they opened the door and the family walked in, the boy started crying and the mom said, I don't know if he's Bobby or not. I'm not sure. Um, Were these reporters in the same room? You know, I'm not sure. Not Mm. entirely sure. Um, It's one hell of a game of telephone. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they're very very conflicting stories. So I don't know. It was like more than a century ago. (laughs) Honestly, don't even know if they were speaking English. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's true so either way whatever the truth was the police say take him home try him out let's see if he's your son 90 day return policy yep exactly full refund if he's not your son yep keep keep the receipt and the tags and so they take him home and they give him a bath because they found him you know living on the street and back then the streets were dirt so he was living in dirt yeah so he's dirty so they give him a bath And they come back the next day and they're like, yeah, he's got all the same birthmarks, all the same scars as Bobby. We even had our family doctor come in and take a look at him. And he found some things that confirm that he's Bobby. He had this scar on his foot from a burn that the doctor treated. And he was like, yep, this is the same scar. He had this weird toe deformity that was genetic and his mom had too. So the doctor looked at that and was like, yep, same thing. Okay. So everyone is like, yeah, that has to be Bobby. There's a lot of physical evidence. I mean, parents wouldn't say it's their kid if it's not their kid. Unless they're like overcome by grief and want to believe whatever they want to believe. But okay, go on. Yeah, we'll see. So the Dunbars take Bobby back to Opelousa, Louisiana. They have this huge celebration, a parade. Everyone in the town is so excited. You know, it's this boy that was kidnapped and, you know, nobody thought that they were going to be able to find him again. No, it's like a miracle. Right. Yeah. Eight months later, they bring him home. Everyone is super stoked. All right. That was act one. Moving on to part two. With you. Act one, part two. So, exactly. (laughs) We have a complete new set of characters now. Um, So, we are in North Carolina. And there's a woman named Julia Anderson. And she works on a farm... Um, as a field hand, which people have asked, what's a field hand? And I say, you don't know what a field hand is? (laughs) And then explain. A field hand, if you don't know, is somebody who works in a field. Mm, So they... lends their hands to the field as well. Yep. Yeah. So she works on this farm in the field. And... So rich lady? Yeah. So she's super wealthy. This is just, you know, her spare time, what she does for fun. Mm -hmm. So... 
She's a field hand, doesn't have a ton of money, lives on this farm, um, which is owned by this family that she works for. She lives there with her son, Bruce, who is about the same age as Bobby. So he's about four. Um, Dad is not around. um, So she's a single mom in 1912 with a son and a field hand. And um, the family that she works for have an adult son and him and Bruce have kind of bonded. And so one day the son comes to Julia and says like, hey, I'm going on this two day trip. Um, I think it might be fun if Bruce tagged along. I think he'll have fun. I'll take him off your hands for a couple days. Let you have some rest. And she's like, great. That sounds amazing. So they go on this trip. The two days go by and then a year and a half goes by and they're still not back. Yeah, that's um, that is worrisome. So now Julia is missing her child as well. Right. So we go back to Poplarville. 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 <laughs> I was telling somebody this story and they were like, Poplarville? I think it's Poplarville. And I was like, <laughs> no. Poplarville? That sounds like larva. Larva-ville. Larvaville. <laughs> so we're back in Mississippi. Okay. And so they're... The police are, you know, questioning the man that they found Bobby with. And he's like, I, my name is William Walters. And that's that boy. Uh, Ward Weaver. (laughs) William (laughs) Walters. Never to be trusted. Uh, Anybody with two W names? Bad news. Bad news. So he's like, that boy wasn't Bobby. He is the son of this lady who works for my family as a field hand. And the boy that I was traveling with, his name was Bruce, and his mom is Julia. And so newspapers catch wind of this and are like, ooh, this is a good story. And, you know, they're really chasing those good, true stories. Mm -hmm. So they pay for Julia to come out here to Mississippi um, because they're like, this is going to be good. So she comes out here and she... Um, is like, yeah, I told him that he could take my son on a two-day trip, and then he's been gone for a year and a half. And so um, people are like, I don't know. Like, she was, she already had her way paid out here, so she could be being paid to say this to get William Walters, you know, off so he doesn't so have he's to be charged. Trial. Yes, so they're charging William Walters. Might be good if I go first so that I'm not <laughs> telling these stories I like kinda, super tipsy. I kind of love it. I think we need to take turns being the tipsy one telling the story. I think it's but a I'm great with idea. You. Yeah, I think the yeah, yeah. was assumed okay. he was on trial. Just mm-hmm. ask clarifying questions. Mm-hmm. I got you, girl. So William Walters is on trial for the kidnapping of Bobby Dunbar. Right. And so Julia comes and she testifies for him and says, no, he did not kidnap Bobby Dunbar. However, he did kidnap my son, Bruce. And so William Walters gets up there and he says, um, no, I didn't kidnap anybody. I had Bruce and I was traveling with him because I'm a traveling handyman because his mom is super poor and she didn't have enough money to take care of him. And so she gave me custody until she gets back on her feet. And so there's still kind of com- some conflicting stories there. But there's also about 50 people who live in Poplarville and they say, no, that boy can't be Bobby because he, William Walters was here with with the boy months before Bobby even went missing. Okay. But it's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It is a lot of people. But then the doctor comes up and says, No, this boy is Bobby. He's got this genetic deformity. He's got this scar. It has to be Bobby. Mm. And 
that evidence apparently is overwhelming. And so they charge William Walters or they convict William Walters of the kidnapping of Bobby Dunbar. And he goes away for two years. And after the two years, he gets out. And for the rest of his life, he pleads his innocence. He says, I, I took Bruce. I don't know if he admits that he took Bruce for too long or not, but he all, he pleads that he did not kidnap Bobby Dunbar. Yeah. And so now we're in 1999. Oh goodness. Quite a jump. Almost a hundred years <laughs> later. And Margaret Dunbar is cleaning out her grandmother's house with her father, Robert Dunbar, the second. So Bobby Dunbar's son. Okay. And his daughter. And Margaret. his daughter are cleaning out Bobby Dunbar's wife's house okay. after she passes away. And Bobby Dunbar had previously passed away. And so Robert Dunbar II finds this scrapbook and gives it to Margaret and says, I think this might be a fun project for you. And so she looks at it and she's like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's all the articles about when her grandfather was kidnapped and finally returned. And she had grown up hearing that story and always thought it was really interesting. And then she comes across some articles about Julia and she is really confused because she had never heard that part of the story. All she had heard was that her grandfather was kidnapped and returned miraculously. And so she's really intrigued and she starts doing her own research and ends up finding some of Julia's living children and grandchildren and gets in contact with them and they share stories and she realizes that they've also been told a really one-sided story that they've only ever been told that Bruce was kidnapped by the Dunbars and his name was changed to Bobby. Wow. They had no idea that there was this whole other story of a boy that went missing and people really thought that this boy was Bobby. And so... And like if that boy is Bobby, then what happened to this kid, Bruce? Right. That, like so many questions. Anyway, right. So both of them, the Julia's children and grandchildren and Margaret are like, we got to figure this out because they're like, either way, there's a missing boy. This, right. this boy, whether it was Bobby or Bruce... There's still another boy, right. either Bobby or Bruce. Right. And so they kind of go on this journey and both of them want different things. Yeah, so course. Margaret really wants it to have been Bobby because she doesn't want to realize that like her, her great grandparents kind of kidnapped like facilita- a, a like boy. What, whether yeah. or not they thought it was yeah. their kid like f- facilitated yeah. the kidnapping of a child from his mother. Yeah. And the Andersons, which... Julia's granddaughter's name is Linda. Okay. Um, so Linda and her, you know, parents and aunts and uncles really want the boy to be Bruce, obviously, because they don't want it to be that they're. He just vanished. Yeah. And nobody knows what exactly. happened. And yeah. So they kind of go on this journey together. Um, and finally, in 2004, Robert Dunbar II comes to his daughter, Margaret, and says. Bobby's son. Yes, Bobby correct. Dunbar's son. Bobby Dunbar's son says, I think it's time. Let's do a DNA test because he, you know, he has known that that was something that he could do, but he didn't really want to know the answer Yeah, because he didn't want to know that his grandparents had kidnapped a boy. Right. Well, and like, you don't even want to like question and seem disloyal exactly. or like, how could you wonder that? Yeah. Yeah. So they do a DNA test and it turns out, that Robert Dunbar II is 100% not a Dunbar. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So what really happened was that William Walters did kidnap Bruce. 
He took him for longer than he said he was going to. He took him on the road with him as a traveling handyman because um, he said that women who saw them were more likely to let them stay in their house because there was a boy, a little boy around and, you know, women cannot resist children. Just our wombs. Exactly. They They glow. (laughs) (laughs) Very opposite things. Mm. (laughs) Or both. Both, both. And so that's why he had taken him for longer. And um, then when police found him, he had actually, Bobby had actually been dressed, or not Bobby, Bruce, had actually been dressed in a dress to get more attention. So whether or not, like, William had good intentions or not, obviously it wasn't a safe place. the police who were looking for Bobby Dunbar found him, he was yeah. in a dress? Okay, gotcha. Yes, gotcha. correct. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And so then. He was using him for his. For, yes. Advantage to like live more comfortably while being a traveling handyman. Exactly. If you want to live comfortably, don't be a traveling handyman. Yeah. Sounds like his parents had a really nice farm that he could have lived in. Yeah, what was his deal? Prodigal son much? (laughs) Right. Right. And so um, the Dunbars had come up. And whether or not they they knew it and just really made Bruce become Bobby, or maybe they really believed it was Bobby. Either sure. way, they took him home. He grew up the rest of his life as Bobby Dunbar. Um, in a book, in the book, A Case for Solomon, written by Margaret Dunbar Cutright and a journalist from This American Life, they share stories about um, sometimes when they when the Andersons and Bobby kind of crossed paths. Um, and it's really interesting because they never really like talked to each other and said like, Hey, I might be Bruce or like, Oh, you're Bobby. Like I know you. I, then I think that you're my brother, but they crossed paths and they both had some fun stories about like wondering. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So Bobby, Bruce ended up growing up as Bobby had some kids. Um, and a granddaughter Grand, who figured it out. Exactly. That is wild. I know. That is bananas. And like, also I'm sure didn't help that Julia was this single mother who was poor. Exactly. Who's like her word against like the, the word of like of, wealthy, like intact right. nuclear family. And yeah, that is crazy. I know. That is bananas. I know. Wow. So I got most of my stuff from A Case for Solomon. Excellent. And This American Life did an amazing episode called, um, I think it's called The Ghost of Bobby Dunbar. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, I think that's yeah. what it's called. That is just incredible. That's a banana yeah. story. And just the fact that it ever got solved. I know. Is crazy. Uh, well, I got most of my information from local news sources, local to this story. KGW, awesome. Channel 8 in Oregon. Ah, news, yes. As well as KATU. Channel Two, mm-hmm. um, that scared the ever living hell out of me while I was following the Ashley yeah. Brown and Miranda Gaddis story. Um, so Emily, we talked about earlier. We're going to close our episodes with um, each episode. You and I are different. We're going to take turns having questions to ask mm-hmm. each other. Yes. Um, and you know, Halloween just passed. We just said we were at a Halloween party together. Yeah. Um, what is the best Halloween costume you've ever had? either in childhood or now? Mm. Well, I don't have a lot of variety um, because every single year since I was in second grade, I have been a cat. 
So which one was the best <laughs> cat costume? Though? Mm, one time I dressed as Nala. Mm. So that was a little variety. In elementary school, I basically wore the same exact dress every single year, which was like Excellent. had black long sleeves and then a like tiger print skirt with fur on the end. Yeah. Um, but since I've been a, an adult, mostly just a black cat mm-hmm. because most Classic. of my closet is black anyways. Yeah. So I just need, you know, to draw on some eyeliner whiskers and throw on some ears. Have you seen the SNL short where it's like A.D. Bryant and Cecily Strong and like one other girl and it's the one about like girls going out on Halloween together and like two of them are cats? It sounds so familiar. We watched it the other day. Is it one of those like music video type things that they do? It's a short, but it's not a music video, but it's hilarious. And they're like, we're just going to have a low key night and like we're not going to drink. And then you see them like throwing it on the side of the road, (laughs) like at a pizza parlor at four in the morning. It's great. Anyway. Anyway. Um, my best Halloween costume, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. So this week I dressed up as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. and I was Which really was so good. Thank you. I was really proud of it. I even ordered like a necklace off of Etsy that was styled after her descent collar. I was going to ask if you made that. Oh my gosh, no. I would never be able to. But it's like Ruth Bader Ginsburg wears a special like collar every time mm-hmm. she has a dissenting opinion, which I'm like, bitch, <laughs> yes. Um. So, but as a child like hands down my favorite was I watched a lot of Nick at night as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the most legit I dream of Jeannie costume in about the first grade. <gasps> wow. Um, that was the bomb.com. I was also like a lot blonder as a kid. So it totally <laughs> worked. You're still pretty blonde. <laughs> well, I'm still pretty blonde, but I pay for it now. <laughs> so it's different than just waking up yeah, and blonde and blonde. Yeah. So much money I'd save if I was still that way. Um, well, this has been fantastic. It has. Uh, thank you. A special shout out to Ryan, our executive producer. Thank you. And uh, cheers. cheers.